Greetings and welcome to Level Select, a podcast about finding a game's best section, chapter, or in this episode, map. We discuss its greatness, share some developer history, and its context in the game. This episode concludes our hastily put together fascination with multiplayer maps coinciding with March Madness. I am your host, Robert Beach, and what's on our plate this episode? Brendan Hesse. Today, we are talking about the greatest Unreal Tournament Capture the Flag map, map, CTF Face, or Facing Worlds. Yes, and it is the, the 1999 Arena first-person shooter based on the 1998 classic of Unreal by Epic Games. Have you played the original Unreal? Uh, you know what? I haven't beaten it, but yes, I have played it. Uh, okay, I, you, you have experience with it. Okay. Yeah, I played it. It was in a you know like a bundle on Steam, and I played it that uh, way. Oh, okay. Just like try it for like a night or two, and then it's like okay, I, I experienced it. I you know ticked a little box, and like okay, I'll, I'll finish it later on if I have the time. I, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't really capture your attention. Not, not like with the uh, multiplayer. Uh, n- it didn't. No, it never uh, sunk its hooks in me like uh, Unreal Tournament proper did, but it. It's pretty cool, and I like old-school shooters, so now that we're talking about it, I should probably go back to it at some point. I gotcha. Um, when did you first experience Unreal Tournament? Because it sounds like you, you just tried Unreal, the base game, you know, on, on a whim on Steam. Cause it sounds like you, you was, like, early on in your life when, when Unreal Tournament was still pretty hot. Yeah, so Unreal Tournament came out, I was uh, probably... 8 going on 9, maybe 9 going on 10. I don't remember exactly how old I was. Um, but anyway, uh, so I played it probably when I was 12. It was a couple years after the first one came out. And it was the first 3D arena shooter that I had ever played. Before that, I'd played Doom. Um, and I didn't mm-hmm. play Quake until after I played Unreal Tournament. So Unreal Tournament was like one of the first first-person shooters and arena first-person shooters I ever played nice nice yeah it was interesting just just like a you had doom you had quake you had golden eye and then you also had unreal yeah and like like out of those 90s shooters it, it seems like unreal's relevance lasted the shortest because it seemed like each sequel to unreal was very much so diminished returns. I think it had the most ups and downs, and it had the most... Um, yeah, I think I think its relevancy... It, the entirety of um, it, the height of its era, which I would say was... Uh, th- when the original Unreal Tournament came out, right up until uh, a couple years after Unreal Tournament 2004 was out and maybe the community started moving on and arena shooters were kind of leaving the general consciousness that was the heyday of unreal tournament and those were um the best games of unreal tournament and everything like you said everything since then has been kind of diminishing returns um compared to something like doom which is like you know it came back a couple years ago and it was just as big of a deal as when it had been every other time that a Doom game had been released. Um, Unreal Tournament hasn't quite enjoyed that same level of um, fanfare whenever it gets re-released. I mean, there is a core audience that loves Unreal Tournament, myself included, but as you can tell from the current state of, we were talking about it um, off 
uh, air beforehand, the current state of Unreal Tournament 4's um, alpha, it's not great. I, I didn't even know it existed until doing research for this episode. <laughs> I'm just like, well, there, there's a game in alpha called Unreal Tournament, the, the, you know, like the quote-unquote reboot, where it's just like, it's not Unreal Tournament 4, it's just called Unreal Tournament, because right. you know, yes. who cares about titles or continuity kind of thing. I mean, I think a lot of the community refers to it as Unreal Tournament 4, but right. yeah, it's just quote unreal tournament as kind of a reboot and it's funny because just you... just like how we kind of talk about like mortal Kombat, like just mortal Kombat, like the 360 version just being like mortal Kombat 9 and so on yeah and i mean in much the same way as the aforementioned uh reboot of doom was just doom mm-hmm. this is just unreal tournament again exactly yeah but yeah it, it definitely seemed like there, there was like little to no fanfare for like unreal 2 like the you know the story campaign for that on top of like unreal tournament 3 just kind of like came and went it kind of felt like yeah and it i never played unreal 2 i I don't know how it ties into the greater unreal universe lore and even the unreal Mm -hmm. universe lore is something that i'm not as well versed in as other things and Unreal Tournament 3 was interesting because it was a sign it, it was very much a game that was made during the era of Gears of War. It looks yep. a lot like <laughs> Gears of War. Yep. And while oh, it yeah. plays, you know, like an Unreal Tournament game, it just Well, that was also the first one, uh, if I'm correct, the first one that both Digital Extremes and Cliff Blazinski had little to no input in. Um, so it, it was a very different game. And now there, there are aspects of 3 mm-hmm. that I really like. There are things about the Warfare mode that I think are really cool. Um, there's some of the way... like Character customization was kind of uh, more of a thing in that one. But it did away with, it did away with the entire single-player tournament mode and just put in a story mode. And that wasn't very well received. As much as it was fine, it just, yeah, it made a lot of changes. It was unremarkable. Because yeah. like, I remember, like, I think I rented it once. Because like, oh, that seems cool. I don't know, I'm gonna give it a give it a try. I I played Unreal Gold before. I'm gonna try Unreal Tournament Three. Sure, why not? And it's like, yeah, this is most of the same weapons I played in the original Unreal, and you know, some updated things. Got vehicles too, and uh, yeah. you know, it's it, it's got that chunky brown look. That did, like pretty much every shooter had. Yeah, and everything was, was like it, weird red too. Like, yeah, it, I don't know. Yeah, it just what it didn't. It didn't suck. I don't think it's a bad game. I definitely it's think just it's just unre- unremarkable. It's unremarkable. It's, it's like easily forgotten. It's unremarkable tournament. <laughs> okay, so the reason why I wanted to bring up Unreal Tournament three yes. is because the collector's edition had a bonus disc yes. that more or less had like a quick little vis- video involving most of the, the the heavy hitters of Unreal Tournament and Unreal back at uh, Epic. Again, before you get too involved with uh, what we're going to be talking about later on in the main events, I just wanted to bring up some developer commentary on how Unreal Tournament was made. So again, this is sourced from the history of Unreal Tournament from the Unreal Tournament 3 Collector's Edition. I'll link it in the description. It gathers lead design Cliff Bozinski and lead programmer and lead lead designer Steve Polg, founder and programmer Tim Sweeney, te- technical art director Shane Cowley, and vice president of marketing Mark Rain. 
So I, I'll play a clip or two of this like th throughout throughout our uh, discussion of Unreal tournaments. But real quickly here, um, some backstory of Unreal tournaments. It released a year after Unreal. Now it started out as, as like a very general add-on pack for Unreal. It, it was it was just it was just some of these pet projects for the most part. It was just called Bot Pack, but initially named after Steve Polk's Reaper Bots. Now, like, like Polk said, as we started working on it, we started to realize, hey, this is actually fun. This is this deserves more time, and it, it just developed its own big franchise. And then Cliff Bazinski came in with this quote, and I'll play the clip here. And Mark Rain came in with his usual 800-pound gorilla demeanor, you know, guys, we got to make this, you know, this a full product. This demands to be, you know, on the market as a, as a retail game. And we're like, Mark, you know, we thought it would be an add-on pack. And he's like, no, we're going to call it Unreal Tournament, and we're going to add these cool features. And we're like, you know what? Let's do it. But you, it's, the wheels are starting to turn. Like, no, we, we, this should be a retail game, obviously. And then eventually it came down to the point where, like, Mark Rain tells this story of uh, Epic Games' time at E3. I'll play the clip here. The very first Unreal game shipped in May of 1998, and shortly after that, a bunch of us, myself, Steve Polge, James Schmaltz, Tim Sweeney, Cliff Bozinski, and a few others, sat in the hotel room at E3 right after the game had been released and talked about plans for making an add-on pack. And what we wanted to focus on was this idea of uh, using the bots to play network games against players and give you a real lifelike experience. And ultimately, that became Unreal Tournament. If I could go back and do it again, I'd do it in a nanosecond, and everybody that was involved would do it, because it was not only the, the launching of multiple careers, it was also the launch of a franchise. All right, so Brendan, you, you mentioned you had an honorable mention or two. Yeah. Talk about Unreal Tournament. Yeah, so before yeah, before we get too in-depth with uh, CTF Face, I wanted to bring up... Um, uh, Deck 16, which is probably one of the other maps that everyone knows. It's a deathmatch map. It's like uh, um, Facing Worlds has been in every single Unreal Tournament uh, following the first one. And then the other one is Morpheus, which is actually the first Unreal Tournament map I ever played. And it's burned into my memory, and it shows up. You know, you see it a lot in, in the clips that you were mentioning. It's it's this you know these three large skyscrapers towering high into the sky on some you know far future dystopic cityscape and you're jumping between the three um, and it was like it was one of the best maps for learning how to time the uh, secondary fire for some for the uh, for the uh, uh, shock rifle. Um, okay. And the secondary rifle is interesting. I'm sorry, the secondary shot, secondary fire, rather, for the shock rifle is interesting because normally it's a, a single beam, kind of like a you know, like your regular laser, um, like a railgun of some sort. Yeah, or like you know, like a blaster from Star Wars or something like that. Okay. The yeah. uh, secondary fire is a large orb that moves a little bit slower. That's the one. Okay. Yeah. And if you time it correctly and you fire the secondary shot, and then you shoot that orb, it explodes and does a large area of effect um, explosion. And so that right. was 
really cool thing that you could do. You could shoot people out of the sky um, as they were jumping between uh, the the different skyscrapers. And it'll more or less like hurt them, yes, but also like shoves them further backwards in, in like against the uh, the pulse that's being pushed on them. Right. And so if they were timing their jump and making the trajectory of their jump to get between two different platforms, you could knock them out of their jump trajectory mm-hmm. and they could go, <laughs> you know, flying off uh, into the bottomless pit between the different skyscrapers. Yeah, it's 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 three towers, but again, this is very much a map that has constant jumping and constant exposure to other players. It's real easy to lose track of your footing and fall off, leading to obvious like uh, negative ones, like unintentional suicides right. kind of thing. Yeah. So it. But then you throw in the shock rifle's secondary fire ability, and it's like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. And that that was like I said, it was the first map that I ever played of the original Unreal Tournament. Um, it was included in a demo disc, a PC gamer demo disc that I got when I was, um, I must have been in like fifth or sixth grade when I first right. uh, played the original Unreal Tournament. And I remember installing it and hiding it from my, my parents. And because <laughs> it was, you know, super gory, you shoot You're someone. You're a preteen. A- You're playing something where he's like easily just like. Like, oh man, that's a headshot, and there's like a geyser of blood shooting out. Oh yeah, out. you get up and close and personal with a flat cannon, which is my personal favorite weapon, and oh, it's yeah. just a spray oh. of of giblets. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so that that map I wanted to bring up just as uh, one that's near and dear to my to my heart in terms of my multiplayer gaming history and my history with Unreal Tournament in general. And uh, you got to bring up Deck 16 because, like I said. It's just as iconic. It's another as, standby. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I, ironically enough, like, Deck Sixteen. Ooh, oh gosh, it was in Unreal Unreal Gold. Like the only the, the only Unreal game I've played is Unreal Three, Unreal Tournament Three for a little bit, mm-hmm. and then Unreal Gold because my, my my father had it. Mm-hmm. So I played a bunch of that, just just like bot matches there, and like De- Deck Sixteen is like, oh, I really like this map. It, it was like one of the few um, maps that uh, stuck with me. But like, what's 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 the deal with Deck Sixteen? Because it, it, it's very very much like a like a, a, a it's it's an open area, but it also has multiple rooms, and it, there's a lot of um, yeah. Gosh, so Deck Sixteen is toxic area, toxic waste. Right. Yeah. So Deck Sixteen is kind of a a multi-leveled uh, map. At the bottom, you have like this green toxic waste type stuff. Um, and in between are these, these, these struts or bridges. Uh, there's a there's a main one that's going uh, from the the north to the south of the map, and then going east to west are these diagonal struts that um, lead from upper to lower levels. And there's some crates on one area, and there's a like you said, there's some smaller rooms that you go around and wrap around to. Um, uh, some lower spots. But th- these have like like one or two like large areas with, with like these narrow pathways. Yeah. Like you can e- easily use that uh, shock rifle secondary fire ability exactly. to knock people into and the a waste. lot of it, on, on top of sniping too, if you feel like it. And and a lot of really well placed uh, rocket fire in this map will just hmm. dominate. As it, I mean, most Unreal tournaments are built around maybe the flat cannon or the sniper rifle or the uh, rocket launcher. 
Um, but this one right. in particular is the one where I first remember trying to master the um, the rocket launcher. And uh, actually, so the Unreal Tournament 2004 version of the map, which I think is actually called Deck 17. It's not Deck 16, it's Deck 17. That, okay. um, I, I'm more familiar um, just in terms of... Uh, time with it uh, with deck 17 but deck, deck 16 was uh it's just the way it's designed it's it has a lot of open area so you can't really hide right there are some very strategic points to where you can and the those strategic points mess coupled with the um the open floors of the second and third level of the area and those struts mm -hmm. and everything, it creates all these different bottlenecks. And so everyone's going to go to certain points in the map. And if you can, if you can control one of those points, um, you know, one of those floors and keep people, you know, where you want them to be, it's a really easy map for just, um, uh, gun control, area control. You can, you can keep people away from the spawn mm -hmm. points for, the rocket launcher or these other you know higher powered weapons if you know exactly you know how the map is how people are going to be funneled in and out of those areas it seemed like the through line with the uh great unreal tournament maps seemed to be like okay it's it's a giant open area there's plenty of opportunities for rockets to be involved and just in general like sniper fire involved mm -hmm. yeah it's i I think, I mean, like with most arena shooters, especially ones on the PC of this era, so Unreal Tournament um, and and Quake Three Arena, the the thing that makes a map good uh, or 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 classic is that it's simple in its design that it and but that simplicity isn't limiting it's more of a uh it's an open-endedness to its simplicity and we'll talk about this a lot with uh facing worlds but if <clears throat> so deck 16 for example it's a very it's kind of a boring looking map like it's not right, interesting right. there's not a lot I don't. I don't mean to say it's not interesting. It's not. It's not complex. I guess I should say in terms of no, just like cursory glance. But once you play it, it's like right. Oh, now I get like if it. You just okay. look, if you just loaded this thing up in Unreal Engine Editor, it's gonna look kind of like a large hangar with a few bridges going across it. But the placement of those bridges, while it might at first seem kind of arbitrary and just a little bit plain, or they're very well thought out and they're very, very well balanced to create this higher ground, lower ground. There's no spot in that map where you are totally safe. So because of that, there is just a constant tug of war of who is in control, who is dominating. And, and unless you are like skill wise leagues above of who you're playing, you're always vulnerable there. But back to your saying like with arena shooters or Arena shooters are, are real floaty. There, there's not much precision involved. Well, it seems like you, you can easily accrue a, a, a bunch of headshots I easily because because your characters move so slow 
relative to two other shooters i i actually i disagree with that i think um okay. unreal tournament doom quake 3 like these are very fast games the movement speed is super fast and because they're on pc the you know the pinpoint precision aiming with the mouse is very fast but if you play an arena shooter say like halo on the console it's a little bit slower so i can see how that would be different but mm -hmm. the pc arena shooters especially these ones the reason that headshots and sniping is so effective and is so impressive on these games is usually because of how fast and snappy and how much precision that it takes and so it's kind of a, a show of skill now i will say okay. the thing about unreal tournament that might be that definitely is floaty um is that they have a lot of low grav maps so maps set in outer space or weird environments mm -hmm. where the gravity is slower and they will use a lot of you know people might use um, uh, mutators which are like in-game mods that change how the mechanics of the game work to make things faster or slower more floaty that sort of thing so you can get you might you know hop into a map with certain mutator settings and it's you know it's like you're playing on a low grav a moon environment rather than right. in the normal like super fast pinpoint control type of uh, control feedback scheme so let's might as well jump in to our main pick and Brendan you mentioned what was the map again it is uh, facing worlds a better known as CTF face uh, in Unreal Tournament and Unreal Tournament gold and is known as CTF2, CTF3, and CTF Classic in later entries. Gotcha. How would you describe this map? Like, what, 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 what makes it distinct visually? So, this map, it takes place in outer space. Actually, it is in orbit of the Earth. It is an asteroid orbiting the Earth. The asteroid itself is basically a giant double helix and at either end of the double helix are two large temple towers um, and there's lore as to what these towers are and what the significance <laughs> of it is um, it's not that important to the game itself uh, they're owned by one of the many far future overlord corporations uh called the uh izanagi uh who use they're kind of like a a, a a japanese cyberpunk conglomerate that own these towers for whatever reason i don't actually know but um the towers it's it's, it's a video game you, you got asteroids and you suddenly build two towers yeah, right exactly for, for 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 what why who cares who, who it's knows cool. it looks rad we'll put the lore we'll wrap the lore around how rad this map is so um these two towers at either end are just tall enough that you can see the top Oh, I would say top third of either tower when you're on whatever side of the map. Um, and they mm -hmm. are prime sniping locations. They might be the best sniping locations in any game ever and certainly in any Unreal Tournament map, regardless <laughs> of what Unreal Tournament map it is. Oh, it looks like a complete disaster. It, Honestly, just, just looking at like just cursory glance at, at first, like it does not look like it would be a good balanced map conceptually. I mean, if someone told me there was a map with two giant towers and only, like, two bridges between them, 
on capture the flag mode, I I would not think that that would be balanced at right? all. Yeah, everyone it, would snipe. No one would get across. There are just too many open areas of combat to assault, let alone steal a flag. Right. But, and so, actually, yeah. one of the interesting things about that, the thing that actually brings balance to the map, is the shape of the no man's <clears throat> excuse me of the no man's land in between the two towers. So I mentioned earlier, it's kind of these like a, a, a figure eight or double helix. There's um, either loop of this double helix on the map. The geometry raises up to a peak. And in the middle, um, is the middle is high enough that either side, if you're running through the no man's land, you can't actually see where the other team is um, until you... Unless you're on, on, not on the main level, but like on the second story or third story, so, so, then you can actually see it. Right, if, in the towers. But if you're on the no man's land itself, you have to crest the middle of the um, map in order to actually see where your enemy is coming from. And that creates kind of this interesting balance, especially for out there in, in the no man's land area. Uh, it forces you to, you can't, if you're running for the flag, you don't know where anyone is unless you're aware that there's a sniper on the other side, uh, which is really <laughs> interesting. Um, and that, that kind of element of surprise is something that isn't normally found in a super open map like this. Like there are no corridors, there are no uh, looping maze-like walls or tunnels or anything. There's just these two open, you know, planes cresting in the middle and the towers on either side. So uh, the fact that you're able to have so much tension between the snipers and this, um, I guess, built-in almost fog of war, if you will, it, it it's really affecting and it makes for not only really tense matches but very long and strategic matches which isn't something you normally get from something like capture the flag mm -hmm. yeah I, I was reading an article on uh, Kotaku um, by Kevin wrong and, and uh, he more or less rationalizes my confusion <laughs> on facing worlds itself just just like telling me like okay this is how facing worlds normally is yeah. and I quote, like, on facing worlds, the map was so open, so sprawling, that you were always in danger. Your t your tower enemies had high ground and scoped sniper rifles. There was nothing between you and their line of vision, regardless of where you were on the pathway. And another point of wrongs, I'll, I'll paraphrase, is there's this everlasting stalemate on face facing worlds that acts like a soccer match. Yes. The suspense builds and builds until little mistakes pile up into larger and larger fumbles until a score occurs. That's when everyone explodes with, you know, grief and anger or just excitement. That's that's what I found interesting. Actually, I've never thought about the connection between the, the, the soccer stalemate type of balancing uh i've never thought about that that's really interesting because first of all <laughs> i love watching professional soccer i love professional soccer it's the only uh, one of the only sports i watch uh at all and now that i'm thinking about it ctf was my favorite unreal tournament 
mode, and this was my favorite map, so maybe there's You're some connecting sort the dots of now, connection yeah. <laughs> there. Okay, I'm learning a lot about myself. This is great. But it's, it's true, though. He's right. There's this constant stalemate, and that, while it can be frustrating and make for long matches, if you're playing against fun and skilled opponents, it's... It's it's a lot of fun, and that map. It's a dance. It's challenging. You you eventually get down to the point where it's like, okay, you you meet at the, the at, meet at the peak, and then like, oh wow, a, a teammate actually got inside the tower, or like, oh, a teammate actually grabbed the flag. Oh wow, oh wow, we we held it, and we almost got it past our point, our side of it. And there's yeah, yeah and there's there's this there's this built-in sense of risk and reward that this map has that not a lot of other maps I, I can think of have where, you know, if you throw everyone up to the top of the tower, you're never going to ca capture the flag. You have too many people up in the tower, and if you're just sniping back and forth, right. it's not deathmatch, it's not going to matter for anything. But if you throw everyone out and rush the flag, well, that, that puts your end of the base at risk. So you need someone up mm -hmm. there sniping, but you also need to be, you need to be really creative on how you would approach the other side. And that's something that um, that I really like about this map is there's a there's a weapon, or I guess you, it's not really a weapon, but it, it's a, uh, it's called the translocator, the, and it's basically- Oh yeah, the device. Yeah, yeah and, and so it's, it, it, it transports you. you. You toss out this little disc, and it has like a, kind of this little arc you can, you can aim it sort of for where it's going to go and uh, you shoot it with one mouse button and then you enable the teleportation with the other. And you can do some really cool tricks with this. You can actually jump into these holes in the center of each uh, side of the map. You can shoot your translocator into the middle of it and if you do it you know, just high enough that you can still get out of it, but low enough that you can avoid the sniper, you can actually create a few brief moments of safety. And it's kind of that risk reward we're talking about. It's like you're risking falling off the map, but if you are really good at this <laughs> and you can time it correctly and you aim it correctly, you can actually hop across the map pretty well. And you don't even have to do it that way. You can use it just to get over the middle. You can use it to avoid sniper shots just in a very basic Exactly, pattern yeah it's um you know if if the only thing that you could do in unreal tournament was run and jump it would be a lot m more difficult uh but it would be a, a bloodbath even more so than, than you know is all those right ciphers. exactly so the translocator allows you to dodge that and in later games where they really um they doubled down kind of on the movement they added in a dodge some dodge mechanics um, mm -hmm. and and there's double jumping and stuff like that, it, it becomes even more possible to get to the other side or to... Yeah, just adding far, like far more variables right. involved you can just, so, so you can make it easier to get to the yeah, other you side, can just but juke, also you can juke the trying to beef up bit. the defense. Yeah. Right. So, um, and the last thing, the last element that I would say... Uh, the risk reward element is redeemer well there's that there's that, that, one, that right? but there's also <laughs> um in the very center of the crest there is a 
a what's called the it's it's like the keg of health or the big keg or something uh, big keg of health is probably what it's called anyway so it's at the center of the map and it normally your your health is 99 you pick that up and it is 199 so in the most um the most open and dangerous spot on the map they give you this incentive to go there they're like you can come here and have more health than anyone and on the one hand it is a lure it's a trap to get you there to get you right in the sniper's sweet spot but if you're smart and you know what you're doing or somehow someone has your sniper has taken out their sniper you can grab that health and you can rush across um you can rush across the map with more health which makes it more possible that you're gonna get to and from their flag back to your side see i, I was thinking like the person would, would grab it and just immediately just, just like beeline straight back <laughs> is it one of those like like a uh, health packs where you start losing it over time losing that health back to 99 no, or it's you just keep you just it, keep okay. it. Uh, at least at least that's how it was um in, in 2004 certainly that's how it works i believe that's how it works in all of them it, you kind of have the okay. over health sort of thing going on and you retain it okay i gotcha yeah like, the other thing too is just like watching quite a few matches of facing worlds um camping is not just a strategy here it's more or less the only strategy you have this open map with multiple snipers and one pathway to the other tower and like add on the redeemer a weapon that manually guides a warhead onto the battle battlefield you, you, you can you can aim it or you can just like send it out but it, it, just, it just adds to the chaos it does and the thing about the redeemer that's that's interesting is you know you landed on the other side obviously you're gonna instant kill probably whoever's up on the sniping tower and if you depending on where it lands and who's around you could take out a large percentage or maybe even the entire enemy team but if you do that they're all going to be clustered in at the at the base as well so it's important to time that you know maybe more so when your teammate is running back with the flag to take out the enemy mm -hmm. opponents the thing about the redeemer is it can be shot down so that again is another risk and reward payoff so if you can shoot it and land it and you can take people out awesome but if someone shoots it down you're vulnerable for a few moments and if you're the person at the top of the tower and you know the rest of your team is out there like then suddenly your tower is uh, ineffectual and you could potentially be taken out by the enemy sniper so it's um yeah, I mean this entire map. The thing that's mm -hmm. that's so great about this map, and we were talking about it earlier with what makes deck sixteen so good, is it's this constant. There's no safe spot. There's a constant tug of war. It's a constant risk and reward. There's bottlenecks. There's and there's there's but there's also there's no one strategy that is going to always win for you. At least in my in my experience, that was how it was. You know, if mm -hmm. you. If you rely too much on sniping, then you're never going to capture the flag. And if you don't, re you're not smart, and you don't uh, uh, protect your side correctly, 
you're gonna lose your flag. It's just gonna go away. So it, it's, um, yeah, it it's extremely smartly designed. Yeah, again, you wouldn't think it would be smartly designed. It's like there, there's so much real estate here. Where's the cover? But, but clearly, <laughs> Cedric Enox Florentina, Florentino, sorry, um, had something going on there. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm personally curious, like if i mean i'm sure they played it and i think maybe even in the uh the special documentary clips that you you were playing they may even mention kind of you know the impact and that that early recognition that okay facing worlds is is going to be special and Mm -hmm. uh but but i'm i wonder you know if they looked at it early on and they were just like what's what's this this is gonna it's really gonna work but it's it's filled with so many just smart simple almost accidental feeling uh right right design decisions it, it just, just seems like yeah. like Cedric, do you just make this because it looks cool yeah yeah but also play it yeah like <laughs> like was was there really that much thought put into it or was it just kind of like a, oh wow this worked i i mean i i'm not not to undersell you know his design abilities, or or his. his oh no! Oh it, no! But it, it it's just it's so simple, and how like that simplicity is is I don't want to be hyperbolic, but it's bordering on genius when it comes to to map design. Hmm. Oh no! There there's a reason why um, Unreal Tournament had another map pack called the Enox map yeah. pack, where it's just just like oh, it's just all of his maps that he designed. Yeah, he did. He did a lot, and he did a lot for most of the series. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he was there for a while. Um, I'll stop tiptoeing around it. We're talking about game developer Cedric Enox Florentino. Um, he made this map. It was it was solely him. Now I'll let uh, Cliff Bazinski introduce Cedric and Facing Worlds. So back in the day, uh, during the development of Unreal Tournament, we had a designer named Cedric. Uh, he was this uh, crazy Frenchman who one day just made a map that was uh, essentially an asteroid in the middle of space that was rotating. And the first version of Facing Worlds, which is what the map became known as, uh, it's basically two towers on an asteroid with Earth in the background. Ultimately, this wound up being the most played CTF map of the original Unreal Tournament. And, uh, I just think it's because gamers loved popping each other's heads with sniper rifles. That was like the gold standard, kind of like, you know, default map for Unreal Tournament CTF, which is just to this day, classic top three maps of all time. Now, Florentino got his start in 1995 at Epic Games with Extreme Pinball 2, and then onto the original Unreal, and then the, the entire Unreal tournament series until 2005 now after two, after he left uh, epic games he bounced around to arcane you know like the people who made dishonored and prey of, of recent so he was at arcane from 2008 to th- 2009 where he worked on a first person shooter called lmno now lmno was a canceled EA game, keep that in mind, canceled EA game, most notably for Steven Spielberg's involvement to it with the tagline of, can a video game make you cry? (laughs) They had like two teaser trailers 
uh, it's, it's kind of sort of gameplay is more like a vertical slice but it, real short uh, proof of concept types of it, type things that you'd see at E3. It was an action game meant to evoke emotion with first person parkour and role playing elements and escape focused gameplay. Mind you, this is 2008-2009 published by EA. Now, you also had an alien looking buddy named Eve. Don't forget, Mirror's Edge came out in 2008. So you have this, this game still in development, kind of sort of produced by Steven Spielberg, and you already have something that's already out, but you know, that's doing more or less the same thing without the alien elements. Now, that came out in 2008, two years before this game was canceled in 2010. So LMNO canceled in 2010, and it was also part of a three-game deal with Steven Spielberg, and that was the third game. Now, the other two games were Boom Blocks and Boom Blocks Bash Party. Well, they're, they're, they're Wii games. You got Medal of Honor and two Wii games. <laughs> so it, after that, Florentino worked with Ubisoft from 2009 to 2011 on Ghost Recon Future Soldier and Ghost Recon Phantoms. Ghost Recon Phantoms was, was in development for a while up until uh, 2014 when it was released and then about two years later it was more or less cancelled so keep that in mind another cancelled game with Enox post Unreal after that he worked at LucasArts for two years on Star Wars First Assaults you have not heard of it because it was a cancel because it was cancelled because of the Disney buyout of Star Wars. He would then go to Bandai Namco to work as the creative director on Star Wars Battle Pod and Arcade Cabinets from 2013 to 2016. And now he's currently <laughs> currently working as creative director at a Singapore studio called Virtuals. Nothing has really been said up to the point of like what, what, what he's been doing at that studio. But um, I'm sure like in, in like a year or two, we'll, we'll uh, see something come out. But again, he's, you have LMNO, a canceled game, and then you have Ghost Recon Phantoms, more or less like a, a canceled game. Like, yes, it was released, but it was, you know, nothing's really remarkable about, remarkable about it. And then you had Star Wars First Assault, another canceled game. So he has like almost like at least five years of, of, of like of work be put into like different studios just for it to be like oh it's scrapped we're done <laughs> no more again like, he was he, he's more or less the integral or like the, the the most important facet of the unreal tournaments franchise because again he, he's worked on the, on the on that series since you know like oh gosh since the inception into until like oh gosh 2005 now he's not just known for facing worlds, but he's also made he also made Phobos, Pyramid, Fetid, Metal Dream, and 
pretty much all of bonus pack three, which was called the Enox Pact, as mentioned earlier. This this guy's been been around for a while. Yeah, he's. I mean, it's a little bit unfortunate that he's not able to use his talents as a level creator uh, in the same way on the same types of games anymore. But the sad truth is, there really aren't games. The stuff like Unreal Tournament, Quake, that sort of thing. They're not really. They're not really. Their time has passed, I guess you could say. Uh, and maybe it'll come back again, like with fighting games. There's, there was kind of a push with, uh, you know, this current Unreal Tournament Alpha and Quake Champions and stuff. So maybe one day we'll see Enox return to the world of arena shooter map design. But nonetheless, everything that he contributed so far in, in during the heyday of the genre it was excellent absolutely excellent and uh, again i think ctf face is his crowning achievement one of the one of his first yeah. oh yeah and and like again that 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 and deck seven deck 16 were like the standbys throughout the series like a, a, every iteration of unreal tournaments and every sequel it's like no, this 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 is our number one hits. We we got to put this in. Like if you go to a concert and you're like like no, like you are a one hit wonder. Yeah. I mean there are some great maps in a lot of and throughout the entire series and um some of my favorite maps in Unreal Tournament 2004, mm-hmm. which is my personal favorite Unreal Tournament game. Uh, most of those have to do with the onslaught map, which is kind of like their big vehicle warfare mode. But there's something missing in those maps um, when you compare them to the just the the simplicity and the 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 tightness of design and layout that Unreal Tournament's maps have. The Unreal Tournament. 99 I should say uh, and mm-hmm. there's it's in it's in 2003 and 2004 and their CTF and their deathmatch stuff but yeah and I think a lot of that credit goes to the stuff that Enox created for that game and, and his bonus pack especially yeah it, it does seem like you mentioned that disconnect in 2004 um, the 2004 uh, Unreal Tournament's that like when, when you added vehicles to the mix it's like okay this is not it doesn't seem like it would be driving well in an arena shooter so and much you know it to their credit they did it really well they, they added in speed mm-hmm. the the vehicles are really fucking fast like they fly across the map they have weird um physics to them that kind of fits with like the the weird physics of the game and they have weird weapons and super futuristic looking designs so it fits and they're still you know the maps are still designed not just for the vehicles but but just to facilitate the classic unreal tournament um deathmatch style combat but yeah it's just a little bit different. And I don't mean to say that it's bad. Uh, mm-hmm. I, again, 2004 is my favorite Unreal Tournament, and Onslaught are some of my favorite maps. But it's just different. 
it's it's a welcome change for sure but like it just seems like well i don't know yeah it just <laughs> it 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 was the right move i think it it brought them a lot of success and kept them relevant because you know at the time halo on xbox had was an arena shooter um basically and it had uh, vehicle modes and stuff like that too so you know they were keeping up with the with the times mm -hmm. but i do think ultimately if you were going to point to something maybe doubling down on that for Unreal Tournament 3 was part of what kept that that particular sequel down because if you look at Unreal Championship, which is um, the first one is kind of just a, a console version of Unreal Tournament, but Unreal Championship 2 is this weird hybrid between like third person melee action game and Unreal Tournament. And it, yeah. Really? And I actually really wow. love that game. That game is, is a lot of fun. Raiden is in that game for some reason. Um, Wait, 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 hold, hold on a second. Which Raiden? Are we talking, talking about Mortal Kombat Raiden? Yeah. Or, or Metal Gear we're talking, Solid Raiden? We're talking Mortal Kombat Raiden. If it was Metal Gear Solid Raiden, <laughs> it actually might make more sense. But while it didn't have it didn't have vehicles, it you know had this weird third person action-y uh, sort of combo-based combat. Um, and it was a little bit slower and a little bit uh, more complex than really what you'd find in both Unreal Tournament or other console games like Halo and whatnot. But I guess my point, my point is, is that was another really smart uh, change, so to speak. But uh, and it didn't involve vehicles. But at the same time, that was another indication of it. Okay, you're slowly moving away from what makes Unreal Tournament. You're, you're trying to adjust to the times, but it's not, you know, nothing yeah, caught on. Yeah, I mean, on that game re all. reviewed really, really well. Uh, I think it, uh, I think it has a pretty high Metacritic rating. If I don't, if I'm not mistaken, um, but there was mm -hmm. like no one played it. I played it, uh, but it was yeah. like two months after release. No one kept talking about it. No one was. There was no community there because everyone was playing. You know. Halo, maybe Call of Duty was starting to come up around that time. I think this was this was on the original Xbox, so probably not quite yet. But yeah. Anyway, point being, those changes are probably part of why we don't hear much about mm -hmm. Unreal Tournament anymore. Yeah, eighty-five for Metacritic, Unreal Championship Two, the Leanda conflict. Yeah. For Xbox, yeah. 85. Yeah. It's, and it's super good. And We're it's, spot on it's there. a bummer that there isn't, uh, you know, a good Xbox emulator out there. Uh, or or right. even... I, I think that was actually one of the few games that was originally made backwards compatible on the hmm. Xbox 360. But even that, you know, I didn't keep it alive. That game doesn't have... Uh, CTF face. I don't believe so. So it's uh, it might not be. It might be good, but it, it it's not great. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I gotta ask you. <laughs> apologies to Cl uh, Cliff Bazinski, mm. but uh, have you played Lawbreakers? Uh, you know what? I have not played Lawbreakers. For shame! Wow. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't impressed with what it looked like. Uh, and mm -hmm. then 
the reviews weren't great. And, you know, I'm going to be honest. I think Cliff Bozinski did really good work on Unreal Tournament and Unreal Tournament 2004, 2003, and the other ones that he was involved in. And so in. on, yeah. But he wasn't involved in Unreal Tournament 3 on. He was, or he was, but not, but marginally. And he was, you know, he focused on Gears of War. And I, as much as I liked the first Gears of War's multiplayer, I never actually really got into Gears of War's story. And so that series is not one I'm familiar with. That is to say that I think Digital Extremes kinds, kind of gets left out of the, the discussion too much when it comes to Unreal Tournament. They really, as much as you know, Epic was who was creating the game, they were contracting Digital Extremes and they made up the mm -hmm. bulk of the development team. And I, I like Cliff Blazinski. I think he's an interesting character uh you know for better or for worse but in terms of his his um ownership of unreal tournament obviously he he was you know lead design mm -hmm. so it's it's his quote unquote his but i think digital extremes had a lot to do with why those first three or four unreal tournament games were so good and why unreal tournament 3 feels so disconnected and yeah and also you know if i was gonna pick two games to uh if i was gonna pick one of two games to play if it was gonna be cliff blazinski's lawbreakers or digital extremes warframe i'm gonna pick warframe it's the better game yeah it seemed very much so like cliff blazinski's involvement in, in the unreal um franchise was more more or less more so on the story side yeah Less so on the multiplayer because uh, he, he did some weapon and and um, level creation, and he was obviously an instrumental part of the design team. He was a lead de designer. He he made ideas, and other people made them happen. But I think it was other people's execution had just as much, maybe if not more, to play in the role of of why Unreal Tournament was so good than just just him. Right, and just just throwing this out there too, like uh, in the making of on of uh, the history of Unreal tournaments, um, it, they 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 do mention like like uh, Epic Epic Games was very much a like oh like every game has like two or three developers attached to a game, but then Unreal came aboard and like okay we got to have like dozens of people working on right. this thing, so it was very much like a collaborative effort there. Or, or, or like Cliff Bozinski wasn't really like lead designer on it, so he was part of the lead design right, team. Yes. The the lead designer and lead programmer was actually like Steve Polg. Right. Yes. So I mean, Cliff Bozinski, I, I think he gets a lot of credit. Major player, but I'm not sure if he's a major player in, in why Unreal Tournament was so. Yes. Good. Yeah. It's. It, it's definitely Cliff Blazinski's Gears of War. It's not Cliff Blazinski's Unreal Tournament, and I think he gets a little right. bit too much credit. And I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to knock him down. I'm not trying to you know talk shit or anything. Oh no, no. But um, I think games are. I don't feel like games are made the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there are dudes, the guys who made Rocket League. You know they were involved in bringing the vehicles to 
Unreal Tournament. You know, if Unreal Tournament feels, even when you play it, and I mean this in the best way possible, this isn't actually a, a knock against the game, and, and every one until three feels like this weird <laughs> patchwork of different ideas. It's like a bunch of dudes making their own levels, a bunch of dudes making their own weapons, a bunch of dudes making their own characters and skins and mutators, and they're shoving it into this weird thing, this weird engine that all kind of plays the same. It's just like a giant, like a bunch of people like, oh, we're going to mod this base game. Games don't feel like that anymore. Not really. It's 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 less like a Voltron, um, where it, where it's just like it's 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 putting together all these like different aspects, like each part unique in its own way, where it's like you can see like oh that that's 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 uh, Steve's contribution. You can clearly right. tell. Whereas like more modern developments, like uh okay you're working on this. It, 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 it's there's there's more hierarchy involved where. Okay, you got to work on this chair. You got to work on this table. Um, we got to work on the, these model of the guns. It's not really. There, there's a clear vision, and you have actual creative directors and, and like you know like supervisors. It, it, it's less like, all right, um, I'm gonna do my own thing here. You're gonna do your own thing there. Um, it, it's less, less people actually. It, it, it's less individuals. Um, like giving their contribution to a game and also just just for the fact that like game development has gotten much more yeah. expensive much larger so you have that going on so it's it's harder to identify like oh this this is where this is where uh tom contributed contributed to um this 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 one yeah. thing because it, it, it's 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 you, you do find those stories here and there like with uh, a couple podcasts before, like uh, Call of Duty World War at War, like that that one Nazi zombies mode, it, it was just a pet project someone had up until like, he started showing other people and like what, what the bare bones basic thing was, and then like oh the lead designer had something for him, and then the art director came in like okay I'll help you here, and the modeler, and then the uh, music director. So it was very much like, oh, it was just people start coming out of the woodwork to help with this, but they're still very much like working on something else as well. Yeah, there's there's less a sense of um, of skunk worksing, or it's, I mean, you you already nailed it on the head. It's less of a a group of individuals creating things together. Coming together, yeah. It, it's more like you know. Unreal Tournament is, oh, you can definitely tell that, that this is an Enox map because it has such and such mm-hmm. sort of, of a design and there's just like, you know, there's a flavor to it. Or maybe this designer always has, he, you know, they really like this sort of aesthetic or whatever. You can see in, in old PC games all the time, going back to Doom and Wolfenstein, you can see like, okay, this was, you know, this was, um, oh, I'm, 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 uh, this was a John Romero map, or you know, it's this, this was mm-hmm. uh, a such and such person map. This is a John Carmack thing. This is whatever. It, nowadays, it's like you ask the developer, they're like, "Oh, what did you do?" Or you know, someone who's working on a on a game, and they're like, "Oh, I did, I did the shadow on a leaf at the at the bottom of this building <laughs> at level three. Right, that right. was me. I did that, and it's like, oh wow, that's that's cool, you know, and that's that's very granular. Yeah, and yeah. 
it's it, it gets real hard to tell. Like, like an example that's just popping in my head. Like when we think of the Beatles, like okay, you can clearly tell what's a Paul and what's a Ringo mm-hmm. song. Yeah, you can dis- distinguish those two once you understand like how they write. And whereas you're looking at like a Selena Gomez song, it's like okay, who wrote yeah, there's, this? There's so many producers. There's I, so many musicians that are exactly contributing yeah. to it, and that doesn't you know make necessarily any less of a product it just has um the the individuality of it is 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 gone but actually i will say going back to warframe warframe still does kind of feel like that it's still like it just feels like they're like i we just had this random idea we're gonna put pets in this game this weird sci-fi ninja game now you can have a dog and also Everything, <laughs> yeah, they all look like weird Geiger things, but we just made this one that looks like a weird bunny. Yeah, you can play as a weird bunny now. <laughs> just in time yeah, for like, Easter. It's, um, and that, you know, again, not un, not surprisingly, it's Digital Extremes making that game. So I, maybe they, it's just their development style. Who knows? But uh, I miss that about a lot of games. And I just, I mean, I just miss Unreal Tournament in general. Well, it's back in alpha well, form. Yeah, it's been in alpha form for kind of sort of years. Maybe something will happen, <laughs> and uh, it'll just break through. And you know, they are trying to develop it, I guess, in that in that old individuals coming together way. But the problem is, is they're relying a lot on the community. And Unreal Tournament has always been a community thing, with the, whether it's the clans, the multiplayer, but mostly the mod support has right. always been a big deal. And they're kind of they're like, okay, well. We're also going to let you guys get on the ground floor and so you can build this. So there's actually, you know, going back to the whole overarching topic here, there is a version of Facing Worlds in Unreal Tournament, the alpha version of for the new Unreal Tournament right now, and it plays just like it used to, as same, same music. Actually, it's a little bit uh, mm-hmm. remixed and updated and it sounds real nice, and it's fun. I mean, it's still fun to play that map, and it's fun to play that map in any version of Unreal Tournament. So, um, you know, I'd love to, you know, a, a year or two from now spend, you know, I don't know, even if it was like 30 or $40. It doesn't even need to be a full price thing at this point. I'll, I'll play that game. We'll see what happens in a year from now when we're all playing yeah, Fortnite. Exactly. Whether exactly. we like it or it's not. The, we'll all, <laughs> we will all be able to talk about the amazing uh, level that they added to Fortnite, and that's all this podcast will be. <laughs> 100 Fortnite players <laughs> jump onto Facing Worlds. Yes, exactly. <laughs> hey, now that might be something. You're... That might be something to get you involved into Fortnite, yeah, yes. Yeah. I like the art style. So <laughs> maybe, maybe me as well. Yeah. yeah, it seems very much like Epic Games is like, ah, you know what? We're going to spend a whole lot more time on Fortnite right now. Sorry, here's, I mean, here's know? the thing. I'll be honest. I would be lying if I said that I... I mean, I have the Unreal installer installed on my computer, and I have that mm-hmm. for uh, because I have Shadowrun and I have Unreal Tournament installed. I would be lying if I said I didn't also have Fortnite installed on my PC right now, and that I had <laughs> not at least played one round of that game. Fair enough. So it's Fair only enough. a matter of time. I, I got a few rounds in, and like, you know what? I'm good. Yeah, I, 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 never I don't. Play this again. I, I, I felt the same way about PUBG. I. And, and uh, that's why those games don't exist. You know, the PUBG, Fortnite, 
that style of game is is what's on top right now. It's not it's not Quake. It's not Unreal mm-hmm. Tournament. That's a bummer, and and clearly, uh, Epic realizes that they even can their own MOBA. You know, it's they recognize right where the money is. But you know what's actually fun? Unreal Tournament. <laughs> Well, I gotta say, you were one of the few um, stands for the arena shooter genre because I have not seen many people actually like, yeah, I've been playing Quake Quick Champions. It's like you were one. Yeah, of the few I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it. on my Steam friends list, it's just Reese and I are the only two people who who have that <laughs> game, and I have like 30 Steam friends. So get on it, people! Play Quake Champions. It's not bad. Or play Quake Live. It's even better. <laughs> I also recommend finding an Xbox well, and playing Unreal Championship 2, the Leandry Conflict. Well, good luck <laughs> yeah. with that, because I, I, I think pretty much every like used game store probably just like threw out, threw out their original Xboxes in the trash. If, if someone out there has a copy of that game, because I don't know what happened to my copy of it. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's actually my younger brother's copy, so maybe he's got it. But if someone out there has it, I will buy it to from you. I will buy it from you for a reasonable price like i will buy it from you as if it's a full price game right now hit me up let's do this <laughs> that is a dangerous offer i mean if it if it works man <laughs> i am i am here for that let's do it <laughs> all right brendan do you have anything to plug um well i uh besides quake championship <laughs> and uh, yeah uh, i do it's actually it's it's called uh, Doom. Doom's a really good game. You should play Doom. Uh, just kidding. Um, Which one? Any of them, actually. Um, you have to make this. Thing, I will this even tell you yeah. to play Doom Three because I am I I really like those games. Anyway, uh, you can uh, check me out on Twitter uh, at Brendan Score LH. I tweet sometimes not as much as i used to um i write for the uh, tech news website digital trends it's my day job sometimes about video games when i'm lucky most of the time about stuff like uh, the best streaming services or that sort of thing headphones stuff like that um but every wednesday at digital trends we do a video game stream it's called digital trends gameplay and I'm normally on that, so uh, you can check that out Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Gotcha. Very nice. Any final thoughts on Facing Worlds? It's my favorite map ever. That's awesome. Anyway, you can follow Level Select on patreon.com slash pnb. There, you will find supporting us is good and I'm gonna edit this out real quick there you can find oh man I'm fuck, fucking okay. up I'll, I'll do the plug I'll plug I it I know now I got it I got it go to patreon.com slash pnb where three dollars a month give you quite a few bonus episodes of pnb maybe level slots um, Foster and Jones, our sports talk show, and also I potentially a new podcast called PNB FM. We're still in the works of recording that and gathering up supplies, but we're releasing a music-based 
music-based podcasts on Patreon because, you know, why not? Seems fun. I will say just real quick, and I'm not just saying this because I'm your friend, and I'm not just saying this because I'm already a Patreon supporter, but this is one of the best ways you can spend your money. They do really good content. Really, you should subscribe to their Patreon. It's excellent. And he's also biased because he's also a patron. <laughs> anyway. It's good, though. You guys do good stuff. I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's great. It's my favorite. It's my favorite stuff of the week. All right. All right. All right. You got a little brown on your nose, pal. <laughs> Is there a song or like a piece of music from Unreal Tournament you want to include at the very end? Well, here? if you're not going to close out with the uh, Facing Worlds theme, I think you should just close out with the classic Unreal Tournament theme. It's just, it's real good. It's its low-key, but it's real good. Gotcha. All right, then. Thank you so much, Brendan. And we are signing off. And make sure you check out our next episode, Backyard Hockey.